0: Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for January has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. This week's episode is brought to you by Hover, MailChimp, SourceBits, and Squarespace. And Squarespace is everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace is a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, or portfolio. This means that no matter how experienced you are with building websites, you can build something amazing in minutes without having to worry about hosting, scaling, or integration. They have have beautiful, clean templates. Everything in this platform is drag and drop, and everything is integrated. Layout Engine is Squarespace's page builder, which, which allows you to create custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You add blocks of content such as photos, videos, text, social media content, and tons more. You don't have to worry about what your site will look like on a mobile device. Your entire site will restructure automatically to fit on every device and maintain the beauty of the site's design. If you like stats, you'll love the real-time analytics that are built into Squarespace. There are even iOS and Android apps that let you manage and post on the go. You can even even import your content from your current blog and easily set up sharing and syncing with your social media accounts. When you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you get a free custom domain name. Squarespace is $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month for the unlimited plan. If you sign up for a year, you automatically get 20% off, and if you sign up for two years, you get 25% off. If you want to pay month to month, you can easily link your custom domain with just a few clicks. There's no credit card required to try it out. Simply go to squarespace.com slash 5x5 and start your trial. If you decide to purchase, click enter an offer code below... And uh, enter the offer code New Year for an d- additional ten percent off. So go check out Squarespace; everything you need to make an amazing website. My guest this week is Mike Rode. Is that how you say it, Mike? It's actually Mike Rody.
1: but that's Rody. Yeah, that's no, cool.
0: no, that's that's it's really good to know that before I start a podcast. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so Mike Rody, who is an author, illustrator, and a user experience designer. Uh, thanks for taking the time today, Mike. Thanks, Brett. It's great to be on the show. Um, I have uh, a furnace running, which you may hear, and it may kick on and off. But it's eight degrees outside, and my wife will kill me if I turn it off right now. <laughs> so, how's the weather in Milwaukee?
1: Well, you know, it's uh, pretty cold here too. I think it's in the twenties. So we're we got you beat by a little, but my furnace might kick on too. We'll see.
0: Depends on how you define beat. I think uh, if if it's a true upper midwesterner contest, we're winning
1: yeah I think you you've got it cornered right there at eight degrees.
0: The colder the better <laughs> um I haven't been outside all day. I shouldn't pretend I'm tough um so let's see i want to start by talking about uh your design work all right uh, you do you do some web design you also do illustration you have a few books that you've worked with or worked on uh and you also have a book of your own called sketch notes um so what do you do you primarily work for uh, for is it Row Design is that how it's said it's pronounced?
1: Yeah, um, so Row Design Studios is a little LLC that I created uh, early in two thousand ten when I was uh, starting to ramp up uh, side projects that I was working on. And it just i had been doing sole proprietor work before that, and the tax person said, "Hey, you know, you should get an LLC; it would be better for your for your taxes and stuff." And uh, so I created one eventually, and um, so that's where I run my illustration and sketch note work typically. Um, but I do have a day job as a user interface, uh, user experience designer at a company called Gamal Research and Design, and their claim to fame is um, they they focus on user-centered design, um, which the two principals, Tom and Kate Gamal, uh, worked at Apple in the 90s, um, started a lot of the things uh, that are running today, user experience uh, division there, and and some, and I think uh, one of them worked in the help, help uh, information department. So that little bubble you'd pop was uh, one of those teams that they worked on. They, um, they thought the Midwest was a better place to raise kids, so they came back and started Gamal Research and Design. And they, uh, we work with clients all over the world, all over the country, basically doing user research. So it starts with um, one of our people going in and just researching. Typically, it's software. Uh, some kind of an application, whether it's a web application. We've done some embedded stuff uh, or things tied to hardware, as well as uh, iPhone and iPad apps, which are, we're starting to get more into. But typically it's a web application. It's often been built by developers who do their best at user experience, but they really that's not their domain. And we'll come in, we'll observe users actually using the tools, see where the pain points are, what are the problems. We'll often you know, assign them tasks to do, and then observe where they get stuck and what things are happening. And then, using that research, um, we we work through that and and develop a plan for structure and wireframing and and then the design. And that's where typically I come in. Um, and it's uh, interesting because uh, most of my career was spent in uh, typical design jobs. So I started as a print designer back in the early '90s out of school, uh, and then switched in the late '90s to web design and worked remotely. From home here in Milwaukee with a company in Europe called MacLoo Media, and then eventually uh, took a job with Kamal. Most recently, because I was fascinated by, by this idea of actually applying, you know, scientific research on making things better, rather than just, uh, the, you know, in my in my experience, a lot of the design was very uh, subjective, almost like uh, Don Draper, you know, red is in, or gradients are cool, or. Yeah, you know okay. it was it's it was very subjective to the person or the trend or whatever and i really like this idea that there were optimal ways to build applications for specific users and how they work and and finding out how they actually don't work instead of guessing at it actually observing and then applying that to the design process so by the time we get to the design process we've got lots of research that says these tools are important these things are not as important and that gives us you know a structure to start with and to fall back on, especially when presenting, you know, back to the same clients who sometimes reject those, you know, they want to reject those because that's not the way it's been done, but we've found it's very effective.
0: That's, that's awesome. I may have to hire you. Cool. Like I've realized recently that I've been designing since the dawn of the web too, Mm -hmm. um, a web design. And, um, it's, it's something I should be way better at, at this point. And my biggest weakness is, UX like I really I can design for the way that I use a website but when it comes to putting myself into the mind of what we refer to as the typical user mm-hmm. I'm horrible like I don't understand normal people so I've found that I make a lot of bad decisions in my layouts and designs because I just I don't have the research the knowledge to Really, do that so I depend on other designers, which it works out fine. But you guys sound like you really know what you're doing,
1: yeah. They've been doing it for a long time, and um, they're pioneers in that area. They're good friends with like Jared Spool and Don Norman, and I mean, they know these guys by on a first name basis because they've worked with them before. And the, I think the good thing, uh, Brett, is there's tons of res- uh, resources coming out now, um, in this area because user experience has sort of had a renaissance, or I don't know if a, I'd say a renaissance, but it's just become more there's more of an awareness that the experience around a website is important um, as well as a technical thing. So responsive design, very important, very important, but there's also an experience aspect to that to be considered. And so I think the good thing is there, there are lots of um, books and resources coming out explaining how all this works um, that you can, that you can uh, read and, and learn about and find, you know, what, at the very least, find what are best practices? What are things to avoid knowing that everybody has blind spots? You know, you, I think starting with where you are is not a bad place to start because you do have a valid experience, but we each have our own blind spots. And that's why, you know, working with a team or actually observing users, because, you know, what they tell you a lot of times, if you, even if you go in and you ask them questions, they'll lie to you because they think, you know, they have an uh, an idea that this is what they do. When you actually watch them, that's not what they do. They do something else. And they often don't even, they're not even able to identify why they do it. I found you, that's
0: true of me too.
1: Yeah, Like, Any- I
0: mean, I can explain to people like on, in a blog post or a, a web, uh, a podcast, like how I think I do something. And as soon as I've gone and detailed it for someone, I'll sit down and realize that it wasn't true. Like that's <laughs> not what I do in reality is not always what I consciously plan or think that I am doing.
1: Yeah. So it's, i even- yeah. I would say even, you know, even if you're a small, if you're a designer who's got a small budget, maybe it's worth, even friends and family can provide, you know, good, good reference, at least in that direction, say, come and use my website. I want you to, uh, why don't you find the archives, you know, and then watch how they go about it. And it's really hard because you sit there watching people saying, you know, push the archive button or it's right down (laughs) there. You know, you can't say that you got to be quiet and observe and see where they go. And then later you can ask, well, why did you make those decisions? Or even, you know, as, as it's happening to just get inside their mind, because they might not, like you said, they don't realize why they're doing something that they do and everybody does it. So that's so maybe you, a way to do it. Do you screen record
0: and track click points and everything when you do this
1: testing? You know, uh, typically it's, um, we've got tools. It varies by project and not every, not every company has the, has the budgets to go full on with the user research. We love it when they do that. We think it turns out the best. But, you know, each each client is different. Um, the places, the times that I've observed uh, other user experience designers, you know, doing this work, typically there's a video camera. We'll, we'll let the people know that are on there. Hey, you're, we're going to record you, but it's just for research purposes. It's not going to be public, publicized or anything. Uh, we have tools that can record, you know, what they're doing on the computer. And then usually the the, the, the user experience designer is taking notes, too. So uh, so that helps as well. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, it varies a little bit, you know, we, we try to get those, those kind of things, uh, in there if we can. And if the budget's there, but every, every client's a little different.
0: Very cool though. I, uh, I definitely want to look more into this. It's, it's certainly a, a blind spot for me.
1: Yeah. I'll, um, have, I'll have to gather some resources for you. Maybe we can put them in the show notes for people that are, have their curiosities peaked about user-centered design and some of these, you know, research methods. And yeah, there's lots be great. of... Lots of stuff out there, actually. So Awesome. So you also
0: do illustration. Mm -hmm. Um, You've done books like Rework, $100 Startup, uh, Little Book of Talent. I haven't seen that one.
1: Yeah, that's a new one. Um, Dan Coyle wrote a book um, actually quite a while about about Lance Armstrong and his war against uh, all the drug stuff, which is actually pretty relevant uh, right now. Um, And he's really into this idea of talent being, um, being a learned thing and not so much just a God-given kind of thing. Um, certainly people have physical abilities, but uh, he wrote a book in 2009 called The Talent Code. And uh, his proposition was something along along the lines of Malcolm Gladwell's idea that if you spend 10,000 hours doing something like the Beatles playing in Hamburg, that you get really good at something, right? And then you have this base level of skill that you can build on, and it looks like magic, but really it's just lots of practice. Um he, he takes that idea and takes it a little bit further and tries to dig into, you know, why does uh why do some places churn out really talented people like a tennis club in Russia or why are Brazilians really good at, at soccer? And goes to those talent hotbeds, researched them and found out that there were actually very common ways that they did their teaching that was uh connected, so they they approach things in a similar way. Um, And so he he sort of documented that in the book, The Talent Code. So that's more of the story of it. And then The Little Book of Talent is a follow-up book where he takes those, I think there's 52 concepts that he boils down. And the book is small. It's like a pocket-sized book with those concepts boiled down to a page or two. And then I did an illustration for each one of those concepts. So that's what The Little Book of Talent is. It's sort of a sort of a companion, something you'd carry along with you. Like, what was that? What was that rule again? Then you pull out the book and reference it. So really interesting stuff and, uh, worth, worth a read. Good stuff.
0: I'm paging through it right now on Amazon.
1: I haven't found your animation or your illustration yet. Oh, there's one. Yeah. Just little, they're like little icons. So yeah, I've done the illustrations for all three of those books. It started with rework. Um, and then, uh, followed up with the $100 startup and little book of talent. Both came out last year. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a chance to take sort of my approach to problem solving to a different venue, which is book illustration. And I I don't know that there's been many books that have sort of broken ground like Rework. I suspect there must be others that have done heavy illustrations, but um, I think they're one of the first in the business book arena to sort of take this different approach. I know the whole book they did a lot of different things, even the way they moved the copyright to the back. And there's some other things that they did that were unique to that book and a lot of people really appreciate the book and there's lots of business pro- professors that hate it. So <laughs> they, uh, they're definitely, you know, true to their forum. They're sometimes polarizing, but they, they're not afraid to state their opinion. So. So
0: what's your, uh, what's your favorite kind of aside from sketch notes, which we're, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about in a minute, but what's your favorite kind of uh, design work to do?
1: You know, actually I'm finding uh, as I'm doing more uh, app design. So iPhone and iPad apps, those are the most fun, from a user um, user interface perspective, because there's lots of moving parts, I've got his, a history with uh, designing, you know, in print, doing annual reports and and other large projects. You have to think about all these different aspects that you're solving. So those are a lot of fun to do, and it brings in um, some one of the other fun things to do for me, which are icons. Um, I actually sp- spent a several years building a, a business at my former job uh, doing logo and icon design. I think those are really related because what you're trying to do is, you know, convey a message in a really tiny space. Of course, that space has gotten larger now that, you know, pixel densities have gotten bigger, but, um, still, even so it's a small space, even if it's on a retina iPad, uh, or retina Mac screen, you know, that app, it a- that app icon is a challenge because even with a lot of pixels, it's still limited, at least in size. And you've got to communicate an idea or represent a company, um, in those, in that small space, same thing for logo design. So I would say those three, and I think they sort of tie together in that way. And, uh, that, you know, often the UI design will include, um, icons that I'll have designed and need to synchronize with the overall look and feel and structure and feel unified with the other icons. So there's lots of balancing, but it's a fun challenge. It's, uh, and it's interesting.
0: If I had to guess, I would have I would have said that your favorite thing was icons.
1: Yeah. If, and I, I guess, would have won. <laughs> yeah. If you if you really pushed me, that would be probably, you know, if I could do icons all day, that would be a lot of fun. I think all those each, you know, I look at um, any kind of challenge, each has its own, you know, challenge and reward to it. So, you know, writing a book is very different from designing an interface, and that's very different from designing an icon, but they each have their own challenge and reward, so... That's, I try to look yeah. at it that way.
0: Um, would you say just out of curiosity that, um, designing, uh, uh, an interface for say retina iPad requires all that different, uh, level of constraints than say a billboard. I think I, <laughs> I asked because the readability of a billboard as you pass on the highway is about the same as what you have with uh, an iPad up close. Like <laughs> as far as what you're seeing, mm-hmm. if you made something too small on a billboard, you wouldn't see it, and too big, and it would overtake the design. And it seems like it's almost the same balance as doing uh, screen design.
1: I think there's similar challenges. Um, probably the advantage that uh, sitting with an iPad has over driving on the highway is you sort of have one shot at seeing that seeing that billboard and. Yeah, You know, even now with these uh, electronic LCD billboards, you know, you might catch the end of the ad and now you're seeing the next one. I've seen plenty of billboards with terribly small lettering that, you know, I tried to figure out what the message was and others that have been really excellent because they're, I think, uh, probably the billboard would be closer to maybe an icon in in the sense of you've got a very brief time, got a limited screen space, and you don't know what the conditions are being it's being viewed in. And right, so and there's you have to all,
0: convey a message quickly.
1: Yeah. So I mean, and you know, you guess you hope that somebody goes by there every day and keeps seeing it, and maybe that sinks in over time. So again, it's it's a different challenge. I think there's maybe some connection in that it's a limited. Everything's got limitations. So I mean, a Retina I, iPad screen is pretty nice as far as uh, quality. It's certainly crisp and, but it's got its own limitations. You know, Apple's got limitations on how how you can handle. There's certain things you can do and can't do, although. I've seen my fair share of uh, iPad apps and iPhone apps that break all kinds of conventions and look terrible. And so it yeah. can, you know, you can, you can really make a terrible looking iPad or iPhone app too. So.
0: Yeah. See, I find uh, in, in my own app design that the, the rules that Apple is laid out for interfaces, just, they make a great, it's like working with a grid in design. Like you have, you have this structure that defines certain user behaviors that everyone will already know. And if you go and you break those rules, if you change things, all of a sudden you've created, you know, a windows app on a P on a Mac where P- everything seems backwards to people and the buttons aren't where they expect. And it'd be, it's, it's nicer to be able to work within the constraints of a grid and then develop something beautiful within that. That's, that's been my experience anyway.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think As you get experience working with that grid and what the limitations are, you can begin to say, oh, there's an interesting seam right there where we can maybe do something that Apple didn't, didn't prescribe that you could do, but they didn't really say you couldn't. Exactly. And then, you know, sort of push into a new space that that's kind of interesting. So,
0: yeah, some of the best app designs I've seen have have walked that line uh, very nicely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Let's see. Wow. We're already to our second sponsor. Excellent. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Hover.com. Simplified domain management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com or maybe a CO or TV or .net. Hover makes it easy. Just enter the domain name you're interested in into their search box and Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it'll come up with some suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you like a magical robot. They have real human beings, unlike magical robots, uh, available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy. Somebody just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And while I'm not Dan... You can use the code me, or visit Hover.com slash DanSentMe for 10% off of everything you buy from Hover.com. You've probably registered a lot of domains, huh, Mike?
1: Yeah, actually, uh, I'm a happy customer of Hover. Um, last year after the uh, the big hubbub about domain name registrars, which I'll leave the, the other one nameless. You can I've, say GoDaddy. Yeah, GoDaddy. Okay. I uh, I actually didn't do it immediately, but uh, after hearing about Hover, the thing that got me was the concierge service. So I thought. I'm going I'll, to I'll go there and just see what, what the concierge service was like. And next thing you know, there was someone, there's a woman there that was very helpful and she took care of everything and made sure everything was right. It was really easy that uh, I can highly recommend the, the concierge service. It made it a lot easier and made me a big, uh, big fan of that service. So
0: yes, I, I too am a happy customer. It's nice to be able to do ad spots for companies that I use regularly. Yep. I feel yep. good about that. That's good. All right. So sketch notes your 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 big the it's probably what you're most known for mm-hmm. are these uh these the well it's a it's a method more than anything and you have books about the method and how to use the method uh how did uh, well, first tell us what sketch notes are
1: well sketch notes in a nutshell are basically regular handwritten notes with uh visual elements added to add um basically the opp- opportunity to express yourself in ways beyond what text can capture So, you know, um, in the book, we talk a little bit about this idea that there's verbal and visual aspects to the way we think. And we typically use the verbal, like typing or writing texts. And that's a good thing. We can remember lots of information that way, but it's got its limitations. And so um, I think there's an advantage to including like drawings and, or even emphasizing, even if you're using verbal lettering to actually do that as almost like typography, hand-drawn typography adds some weight to it, makes it interesting, gives some color to the page so that there's an interesting pattern happening. Um, and so what sketchnoting does is it takes regular notes and uh, sort of plus ones them and adds some additional information, especially if you uh, have ideas that pop in your head and maybe it would take a long time or it's difficult to describe those things. But it, may, it might be easier to draw them than to describe them in, in uh, handwriting. So that's in a nutshell what sketchnoting is. Do you... Do you mind map as well? I've done a little bit of mind mapping. Um, That's an area I haven't explored as much, but I think it's related. It's certainly a visual thinking tool. And I think
0: everything you're saying sounds a lot like the concepts there.
1: I think the difference between mind mapping, someone else asked me about this before. And um, so I think mind mapping is a way, and certainly sketchnoting can be used this way, but it's a way of taking the things that are in your head and getting them down on paper in a physical fashion, right? So it tends to be more what's in me and then getting it out where sketchnoting is a little more like there's these ideas that are being presented to me like a talk. Um, And then you're capturing those in a visual way. So they're kind of related, but one is maybe more internal going out and the other is more capturing the things that are being activated in you and putting them down. So that makes sense to me. You know, it's hard to describe sometimes the difference and I think they both can be used in different ways. You certainly could, Certainly could do do a mind map of a talk, and that would work. Um,
0: yeah, I do that, but I can see the benefit to uh, a more kind of scattered... I mean, the reason I use a mind map when I'm taking notes is because it lets me organize things that the person talking about may not have organized the way that I'm going to think about them. So as people say things, I can add on to nodes where I mm-hmm. think they logically belong, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a very personal thing for me. Um, but I could... Definitely. Uh, I could definitely see. We'll, we'll talk about more of the benefits in a second. How did you get started with sketchnoting?
1: Well, sketchnoting actually started because I was really frustrated with the uh, notes that I was taking. Um, I don't know why this happened. I think I did effectively sketchnotes when I was in high school and college. Um, I was a design student, so we did drawing alongside our handwritten notes all the time. And for some reason when I got uh, when I started working in business, um, I sort of lost track of that. I don't know why. can't put my finger on it, but effectively, I started taking notes um, and tried I tried to approach it almost like a court reporter where I was capturing every last detail, and it had evolved to the point where I had these giant line notebooks and a pencil, and the giant notebooks were so that I could capture every detail because I was worried I'd miss something. And the pencil was, if I made mistakes, I could always go back and, er- and erase and fix them. Um, the notes had some value because I was obviously capturing ideas as they were happening. So there was some benefit to me. But I found that when I got done, I just never looked at the notes again. I'd shelve them and never refer to them. So all this work I was doing became kind of frustrating. And I thought, how can I, how can I change this? Because this is not just not sustainable for me. This is not worth all the effort I'm putting into. And it was getting stressful. And um, I had a conference. Uh, and, and so this went till late 2006. In early 2007, I had a conference in Chicago for user experience design. And I was going to go to this thing. And I thought, you know, I can't take notes like I have been anymore. I've got to do something else. What? How can I challenge myself? And as a designer, you find that often limitations are the way to come up with really interesting solutions, like when you limit yourself to one color or what what have you. And so I approached it from the from the angle of how can I limit myself in my note-taking to sort of force myself to do something new. Um, And I thought, well, what would be the most opposite of a giant book and a pencil? And it turned out it was a small sketchbook, a moleskin sketchbook that I'd bought. I don't know, probably a couple months earlier because I thought it was a nice looking book, but had found no use for it. Mm. And then, um, and it was a sketchbook. So it had really thick paper, which could handle, you know, inking, heavy inking. And then uh, the opposite of a pencil seemed like a pen because once that, ink goes on the paper. You either have to make it into something or scratch it out or just live with it. So, um, so having these two limitations made for interesting uh, an interesting session in Chicago at this conference. And I actually had a lot of fun because I, once I got to that point, I thought, well, if I've got limited space, what would that mean? That would mean that I can't put everything down. If I can't put everything down, um, I probably then need to be doing some filtering up front and making a decision about what's important enough to make it on this page. And then if I'm going to make that decision to say, well, these things are important, but I'm going to let these other things go, if I've got extra time now, how can I spend that time? And I thought, well, you know, I really like typography. I'm I'm a designer and I can do hand-drawn typography because I do it for a job all the time. So why don't I start with, you know, hand-drawn typography and as images pop into my head, maybe I can do little drawings. Um, And so that's what I did. I went in and I took regular notes and then augmented them with you know, hand-drawn typography and drawings. I think one of the images that pops in my mind from this, uh, I think there was some talk of Duke Ellington. So I tried to approximate a drawing of Duke Ellington because I was a fan of his work in the past and sort of had this image in my mind of what Duke looked like and drew him on the page. So um, when I got done, I I just had a really fun time. It, It sort of was the complete opposite of what I had been doing and I was so excited about it, I thought, you know, this would be fun to share and just uh, put out there. I just joined Flickr, probably not too long before, and uh, decided to put those a scan of those notes up on Flickr. And uh, attendees found it and really liked it. The speakers found it and liked it. And even people who hadn't been at the event really liked it as well and seemed to get some value out of it. Maybe not as much as the people who were there because they had a reference point. But um, they seemed to really enjoy them, and you could go through them quickly, so... You not only got some value from the things I captured, but um, you sort of got a sense of like, oh, that that user experience conference that looks like something I'd like to go to. So it it served a couple of different purposes, um, and then it just went it went on from there. I started doing it more and more. Um, went to the Seed Conference for the Thirty Seven Signals guys, which was sort of the seed for uh, doing the rework book. Eventually, they reached out to me to do the illustration, and that became that came about because of the work I did for them sketchnoting their event. Then it turned to uh, South by Southwest. They they become friends of mine now and we work together on projects. Um and then from there you know I started getting invited to uh to events as a guest to do the sketch you notes.
0: You did an event apart Minneapolis
1: didn't you? Yes, I did that uh yeah, two thousand eleven. Oh you really yeah. were yeah. I, I was famous then I wish I'd have known that. you I would have uh, <laughs> taken you for a coffee but um so yeah it, it started out just being for fun. Uh, then organizers really, they really dug it and they would invite me to come. And then eventually it turned into an hour. I'm often hired to come in, get a day rate to come in and capture an event, uh, and turned it into sketch notes and then produce a PDF so that they you know, attendees at the event can get a copy of the PDF and remember as well, or sometimes they'll even produce booklets. So, uh, so it's definitely evolved over time. The other thing I think that's most exciting You know, it's great to be paid for it, and those are good things. I'm more excited by the community that's developing around it. There's other people that started doing it. And I think what's interesting about sketchnotes are, I think a lot of people have done it, but there just never was a word for the thing. Like, it was just notes and drawings. Like, no one had a word for it. And so having this name sketchnote tied to the thing like, hey, I do that. That's called sketchnotes. I do sketchnotes. And now there's sort of this identifying name that's around the thing that you already do I found that there were all these people that started doing it all over the world. And that was really cool because I've always been very internationally minded after traveling to Germany in the, in the nineties and have become interested in sort of this movement think movements that can happen across the world because of the internet. And so I started seeing people pop up in the UK and Australia, uh, all over the U S uh, and Europe doing sketchnoting. And that got me excited um, and that's, what's probably most fun is to see all these people giving it a try and all the different perspectives on how it can be done and, um, and people finding it valuable. So that's, that's been a lot of fun.
0: Let me ask you this about, uh, sketchnoting, uh, for higher at conferences. Isn't the point of sketchnoting that the fact, uh, or the, the process of making the notes Im- improves your memory. Is that safe to say?
1: I think so i I think there's some research there's not you know as I wrote the book, I found there wasn't a ton of research to back it up but i I think in my experience and others that seem to tell me by doing it they do seem to remember better um, so is it as beneficial for someone to get a copy of your sketch
0: notes from an event as it would be to take their own?
1: I think there's certainly uh probably benefits for them doing their own um because you're personally going to make decisions about what it is that's important that you capture that I may not make that decision you know I've got a different perspective than you do so certainly doing your own is probably the best um and there's probably limited value for someone else who was maybe at the you know so the first priority is yourself because you're capturing the things that bring back memories to you so often when I look at sketch notes I'll remember like the experiences around that event like where did I go to eat or who are the people that I saw? Like it brings up those memories because I, I somehow made this kinesthetic drawing of that event on paper um, that bring back those memories for me. Um, and so probably the best situation is for you to do it for yourself. But I think there is some value for someone else to do it because I think, you know, if the speaker's good and the sketchnoter is capturing these ideas, I think the the, the important ideas are getting captured and conveyed. And so there's probably going to be, you know, a common thread. If what you
0: capture is, are in fact the most memorable points in looking at a quick drawing that you captured effectively Mm -hmm. can spark someone's memory of that actually being said, then yeah, totally effective. If they were my notes, if someone paid me to come in and take notes and then hand them out to everybody, I'd get fired (laughs) super, super fast.
1: Well, you know, I'd have to say there's a small percentage of people that actually do it for hire. Because it's difficult, you know, and
0: a real challenge.
1: I think you know. So there's two different. uh, I thought about this as I produced the book, and the book is intended really for people who maybe have done, have dabbled in it, or they're curious about it, or they saw it, or they they want to give it a try, but they just don't know how to start. Um, I think often the people that have done it the most maybe say, "Well, you know, I knew all that stuff already." It's like, "Well, of course you did," because. You know, I'm trying to reach out to a different audience, but there's sort of two levels. There's the entry level, and those are people that don't do any notes at all, or maybe they just write, you know, notes here or there, and they're really curious about using the visual side of themselves in a different way to maybe capture. So that's one level. And then I think there's sort of a, I hesitate to say a higher level, it's just a different level of people who are maybe trained illustrators or artists or who work with visual thinking all the time, like, you know... Ever since I started working in design, I've been sketching concepts. So, I mean, I've got 20-some years of doing sketching and getting my ideas on paper. So I've got a huge, huge advantage over someone who just started last month, right? So, you know, I'm just in a different situation because of my life experience, not because I'm any better than anyone else. I've just focused myself on this area, and it, it comes a little bit more easily. Um, and I've been practicing it for longer. I mean, that's just a matter of timing. Um so I think there's, you know, like you said, if they hired you, you'd get fired quickly. Well, you haven't really trained for that. You're not. You haven't built up your skill for that. And certainly, there's certain things. I'm sure if they hired me for that, I'd get fired for that. You'd be awesome at, and that's just the <laughs> difference of our personalities. For me, it's that coming into play and the experiences that we've invested ourselves in. Right? Then.
0: Yeah. For me, it's that the way that I visually approximate ideas is, um, it's not something that another person can come in and make sense of. Hmm. Um, and I think that the real, the skill that you develop is more representing things. It's, it's, it's your skill with icon development plays a huge part Mm -hmm. in your, your, your ability to visually represent an idea in a way that's universally recognizable. And that is something I'm not great at.
1: It would be interesting for you uh, to see the book and see if you went through the exercises because, you know, I'm really reaching out to someone who doesn't do any of this at all and breaking it down into this idea that there's a few shapes if you start thinking of objects as shapes and building them in shape pieces that drawing is less difficult, especially once you get... So I think a huge barrier for people is I'm not an artist and maybe you were in high school and somebody was a really good artist and you were crappy and, you know, that That person got all the attention, right? So they, you know the better they are than everybody else just sort of like, well, you know, I'm never going to be good, as good as him. So I just give up. Yep. And I'm trying to reach out to those people and say, Hey, this is really not about art. So let's take art off the table. This is about ideas and how you capture it and simple ways of drawing. And I've been really surprised at people that are not artists at all, how well they, once they get past that mental thing, um, that the physical part of drawing is not a problem, especially if, those notes are really intended for them first. And, you know, they're not to be shared necessarily. Like there's, they're not the intention or the pressure, you know, is not on them to produce something that other people need to consume. So when you get, you take those two ideas that it's not art and it's just for you, it's personal first. I think those are really key. And I think, um, if you tried that, I'd, I'd really be fascinated to see how this works for you or if it doesn't, I mean, I can't say that this this approach works for everybody or that it's universally perfect but i think for a lot of people it offers an interesting way of solving you know note taking and keeping themselves busy while information is coming in i think that's really important too sort of keeping your mind active and i think you know writing notes and drawing and those kind of things do that i think to some degree and different at different levels for different people so i I'd, I'd be fascinated I'd have to
0: i will have to, i will get the book and I will practice the the craft on uh, on my next uh, quarterly earnings call. <laughs> I have never stayed awake through one of those, and I have never retained anything from one of those calls. And it would be a great challenge to see if I can actually pay attention.
1: Interesting. Well, definitely keep me posted. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to that. hear. That. So, uh, how
0: can I ask how old you are? Sure. How old are you? I'm 48. Okay, so this would – I was going to ask you if you'd heard of Mark Kistler, uh, I ha- also also known as Commander Mark. I haven't heard of him. Tell me about him. That's probably because you were old enough by the time he was on TV that you weren't looking for mm. uh, uh, how to draw a how-to-draw show on PBS geared towards kids. Uh, the Draw Squad and uh, The Secret City were pretty cool. Uh, mm. It's I, I started drawing because of, of Commander Mark. Uh, it was why I got into art to begin with, but then, like you said, my brother outshone me in every possible way, and I gave up on the idea of being an artist. Um, came back to it in a more technical way later, but um, I—you should look up Mark Kistler. I don't—I can't find any of his actual like videos online. I should search
1: really? YouTube more, but yeah, I wonder if YouTube would. But you seems- can
0: buy PBS is selling the whole old series.
1: Really, I'm gonna yeah. check that out. If I find some, I'll send you a link. Yeah, put it but, in the show notes, too.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like you're doing something very similar to what he did. And that's, you know, he, he was a good artist, but he simplified and brought things down to a level that people who didn't think they could draw could understand hmm. and find out maybe you can draw.
1: That's really interesting. I'd love to check that out. And it seems sort of uh, in line with my approach. I think the here's the funny thing is I don't think I'm a great artist. I think there's people that are way better artists than I am. And so I've always had this sense of like I was, you know, not good enough as an artist. There were better people that could draw hands and faces and stuff like that. So, in some ways, you know, this provided a way of focusing on the idea aspect. I think because in my work, you know, all the drawing I did was sort of this intermediate step to producing a final design, which may or may not mostly wouldn't include any drawing at all. I'd be using tools, right? So, um, I had sort of this hidden talent of getting ideas simplified by using drawing that I finally got a chance to actually show as part of my, you know, either illustration or sketch note work. So it's interesting. So I can relate in some ways that when people say they're not a great artist, I don't think I'm a great artist either. I think there's tons of way better artists than I am. It's just that I've found this interesting way of applying ideas in a,
0: in a visual way. But you're also, um, you're also a Midwesterner. So the, to, to, to say I am a great artist would be (laughs) a huge huge heresy around here. Yeah. Um, you, you would be looked upon as, uh, wonderfully pretentious, but utterly, uh, just dis- uh, utterly disposable. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you are, you're a good artist. I think everyone, everyone feels to some extent. I'm not trying to make you feel better. I'm just saying everyone feels to some, who was talking to me, the imposter complex. I think it was called.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I've, I think I've heard that in a couple of different ways.
0: There's- um, Maybe it was Schechter. I forget who was talking about it, but yeah, okay. it was definitely, it was, it was that idea uh, that none of us feel worthy. Um, okay. So y- your book is, uh, it's on Amazon and is that right. I've been yeah. looking at too much Amazon today. Yeah. Um, it's a, you can get it as PDF or as a book or as a video book. Yeah. And it, well, I shouldn't say a video book. It's a book with video, right?
1: Yeah, let me uh, I can sort of run down sort of the the options that are available. It's um you can get it at peachpit.com. I actually have a I have a coupon code I can give your listeners if they want oh, to look yeah. at it and compare against Amazon. I think uh pit has been very aggressive in trying to match them. So the 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 code at peachpit.com is sketchnote. Um and that gives Letter. you 35% off and uh I was shocked when they told me the deadline is actually December 31st of 2014, so they're uh I guess they're Generalize. apparently expecting this to last a long time. Um, so that'll give you 35% off. Um, and it comes in a couple of different versions. Um, probably the good thing and the bad thing about having all these options is everybody can be kind of satisfied in the way they get it. The bad part about it is there's it can be very complicated. Um, and I've actually written, uh, I've got a blog post that explains all the different options and I've been updating it as we've added things. So I can give you the, the link to that for the show notes so you can put that in. And people can read the detail, but essentially there's one book it's called the sketch note handbook. Um, th- the book is the same in, in all of these options. It's just that we add to it. So that's maybe a good way of thinking about it. There's the regular book and that's the book alone. It's a paperback book, but it's uh, it's really different. Um, we had uh, a fingerprint resistant cover, uh, stuff put on there. So it sort of has this matte feel and it tends to resist uh, fingerprints. It feels really cool. The cover stock is really heavy. The interior cover, uh, interior paper is really heavy and it's cream colored and it's rounded corners and it's two colors. So it's black and orange, which is also very unusual. So, in a lot of ways, the book is very unusual. And I highly recommend the physical book. Everybody that gets the physical book really appreciates that they've got it. And so that's the, that's the, that's sort of the base of it. That's the book. Um, The next level is uh, the book with the video. And the way we approached it is in the old days, you'd stick a CD in there. Um, or a DVD. And I think uh, there's just sort of moving away from that because, well, what if you got a MacBook Air? What are you going to do then, right? So um, they approached it like, well, let's move into the streaming era. So what they do is in uh, the video version, so it's Sketchnote Handbook Video Edition, you can tell that because it's got like a aqua blue circle on the top right corner. It's got a code in the back and an envelope. So you go to the back of the book, you pop this little thing open and there's a number there and you go to peachpit.com, you make an account and then you enter this code and it gives you access to the video series. And the video series is 20 episodes um, all shot by my friend, Brian Brian Artka who's a really great documentary filmmaker. And we approached it as a documentary film of me telling this story. And so you see me talking to the camera, you look over my shoulder as I draw and show these techniques. And I think probably the coolest part, there's about a nine minute uh, video right in the middle where I have someone present uh, a talk to a small crowd and then I sit in the crowd and I sketch note it live while the camera's rolling. And so you see the guy introduce himself and then the, the shot switches to me drawing in my book and you basically hear him speaking and watch the, you see how I'm making decisions, what things I'm drawing, where I'm placing things. Um, and I fill two pages in the book in my sketchbook of his presentation. Um, and so that's the video series. Um, we offer it in a couple of different ways, so if you just want the video series, you can buy a DVD that runs on a Mac or a Windows. you can now actually buy the streaming video. so if you wanted to get the streaming video and you didn't want to mess around with physical stuff, say you've got a MacBook Air again, you know you can use uh, you can just buy that alone. Uh, there's also a PDF version of the book, so basically we took the the guts of the book and turned it into a PDF that you can download. Uh, once you purchase so if you're a virtual person you know you could buy the pdf and buy access to the streaming video and have the whole thing virtually and watch it on your i watch and read it on your ipad so there's tons of options available which is great but often it's just difficult to explain all the different options that are available so so that's well, i think uh, you did pretty well yeah so and you know go to the look in the show notes there'll be a link and you can check out i explain each one in more detail um, if you want to go and learn more about the book overall, the best place to go is uh, to my site, to the book page, and that's rodesign.com book. Uh, and there I sort of explain what the book's about. There are pictures there to show me as I was building the project. So one of the things we did with this project was I took tons of photos, put them on Instagram. I wrote blog posts explaining what it's like to write a book. Um, so that's all in there. There's links to that. And then uh, we've got a sample of Chapter 4, so if you want to see what the PDF looks like, you can grab that and download it for free. And then there's uh, video number 2 from the 20-part series is also up there. Uh, it's a Vimeo uh, video that you can watch, and that gives you an overview of what we cover in the video. So that gives you a pretty good sense of like what the quality is like, what does it look like, what kind of stuff you'll see. So all that stuff's right on that page, rowdesign.com/book. And you can check that out. So,
0: All right. Um, We'll uh, do our next sponsor, and then we're going to get to top three picks. Cool. All right. Um, Next up is SourceBits, a mobile app development house that helps you develop and design your next application or game. It instantly puts 300 dedicated programmers and interface designers behind your project. Diviners would be cool, though. Um, Full-time. They stand behind the idea that when you focus on brilliant Design, your product becomes your marketing, and your customers become your advertising. iPhone, iPad, Android, Blackberry, Facebook, and the web are just a few of the platforms on which their engineers will work with you to create a feature rich, rock solid application that generates incredible user loyalty. SourceBits has developed more than 500 applications for multiple mobile, web, and desktop platforms, with 20 of them reaching the top 10 in global application marketplaces. They understand how to apply brilliant design to turn your idea into a successful app. SourceBits helps build your application by starting with an end-to-end product strategy. Their engineers and designers can take your app from a sketch on a napkin to a fully deployed, functioning, and successful live product. SourceBits reduces your costs and gets your product to market quicker with highly efficient, agile product development processes, which they've fine-tuned over the years of interaction with clients. Your project will be managed every step of the way by a dedicated project partner who can tap multiple design and development centers all over the world. Join forces with SourceBits and bring your consumer app vision to reality today by visiting SourceBits.com. Did you take notes on that?
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, SourceBits, for sponsoring.
0: Yeah, thanks, SourceBits. I, I don't know much about them other than what I just said, but I'm sh- given that they sponsor this show,
1: they have to be awesome. they got to be cool, yeah.
0: All right. So top picks. Uh, would you like to begin?
1: Sure. How many picks do I get, Brett? You, you get three total, Ooh. and we'll do one at a time back and forth. All right. So um, how about I start with, uh, I'll do some software. Um, it's a new app that I just uh, learned about, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, and it's called Bloom. And when I say Bloom, you might, you might actually think that I'm talking about the Brian Eno music app, which is also very cool. Uh, but it isn't. It's a new app for coffee aficionados, and what it is is, um, especially if you do pour over, but also other methods like AeroPress or if you have a, a Chemex or something else. What it is is a tool to record timing. It also manages, um, you know, the the grams, how many grams. So what it is, it's a way of uh, databasing information about the coffee that you make. So you can record how many grams of coffee should be in there, how long should each step take. Um, and then it's got integrated timers for each one. So as you open up each, uh, each one of those, like say for AeroPress or specifically for like, um, for pour over, which, um, which makes really good coffee, each one of those steps is uh, aligned in a, in a document. And so you can just open that up. You can make your own custom, um, your own custom, uh, details. So you can take something and I think duplicate it and tweak it. So if you want your coffee stronger, you can have it run a little bit longer, um, and those kind of things. So that's, it's kind of cool. It's, uh, I don't know what the price is off the top of my head. I think it's a dollar or two. So I've been very pleased with it. It is. I actually looked it up. Um, two ninety nine. Okay. Three bucks.
0: It sounds like a steal. Yeah, I definitely. I, I use a Chemex right now in an AeroPress when I'm in a hurry. And, sure. uh, that I definitely could find a use for this. That looks pretty awesome.
1: I suspect if you're a tea drinker, you could probably apply it for that. Um, just looking at the list, it's got built in, uh, Air press, House, Bond Mac, Chemex, Clever, Eva Solo, French press, Kaida Wave, SCC V60. So that's a pour over. SCCs, Chemex, Siphon, and then just straight up V60. So it nice. already comes with some things, and uh, you can add your own. So it's pretty cool.
0: Very very cool. Um, like I drink tea, but I have a I use a tea thermos, the kind with a sieve on top, and mm. I don't I don't time it. I use very specifically heated like water at you know a, an appropriate temperature for the initial steeping. And then I just let it sit until I finish drinking it. That's uh
1: that's gotta be bitter by the end, man. I see I love bitter. I'm oh, okay. I'm the
0: opposite of whatever a super taster is. I mm-hmm. I like my coffee super bitter. I like my tea mm-hmm. super bitter, and I like flavors that are either flaming hot, uh not temperature-wise, but spiciness. Or extremely bitter, and hmm. it's I've I've learned as I've grown up that if it doesn't hurt, <laughs> I probably won't like it.
1: <laughs> so I imagine you're a fan of Thai food, then too. Oh yeah.
0: Oh man, I. There was a a a, a, a what do you a restaurant tour? What do you call the person who owns a restaurant? Yeah, yeah. A restaurant tour. Um, a Vietnamese guy who uh was in love with me, basically. Um. And he I got free meals there so wow. often. And then when I finished the meal, he would pack up like two days worth of food and tell me to go take it and put some weight on my bones. Wow. Um yeah, and and I just I as creepy as that was, I love and fell in love with Thai food. Anyway, that was a random story that had nothing to do with anybody's topics. Um I'll go ahead and do mine then, since we're running short on time. Um I've got Who to Spot. And uh, you were talking about how you have those or you had those huge notebooks uh, Mm -hmm. full of notes that you never looked at. Mm -hmm. And that's the way my computer used to be uh, before I really started developing a search system. Rather than spending all my time putting files into folders and building deep hierarchies that I probably would forget anyway. I started working to make things like spotlight search as effective as possible so that I could just put things where they made sense at the time and then always be able to find them later. Um, and who to spot is an interface for spotlight that lets you uh, add uh, very complex predicates with Boolean logic together. So basically you can say if it has this in the title or this in a tag and it has, it has both of those. And then it has, um, you know, uh, this file size, and it exists only in this drive, but exclude these directories and you can find it. Um, wow. it's Spotlight can do all of that, uh, but it's pretty difficult to get the syntax right in a finder mm-hmm. window. This gives you just fields that you can fill in uh, and build your, your query, and then you can save stuff, pop it back up um, for later, and adjust, you know, just certain parts of the search. And it handles open meta tagging as well. So you can tag the files you find and you can search for tags. Um, yeah. So that's my, it's a nerd pick, but it's, it's handy for just about anyone who has files on their computer.
1: Let's i have an interesting story. I actually helped Pierre with his first icon for who to spot actually years really? ago. Yeah. Like uh, 2005, 2006. So. so not
0: not the current icon or.
1: You know, I, I haven't seen the current icon. It may still be. What does it look it like? It changed.
0: Um, Could be. Now it's binoculars.
1: Okay. Was it
0: binoculars before?
1: I think it was binoculars in a book. Yeah, no, that's yeah, what it is. is. Nice. I, I like that icon. See. Yeah. That was a long, long time ago. So yeah, interesting. He's a good well, guy. I met him yeah. once at Macworld. Yeah, Pierre's a good guy. I liked uh, liked working with him. Okay. Um all right, pick number two for me, right? Yep. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna stay with the coffee theme here. Um this year, um, I decided I had so I had an original uh espresso maker. It was l- kind of a low end Krups machine. I've had friends who've had Gajas and all kinds of other fancy machines where you gotta babysit them like a an Italian car. And uh they produce beautiful shots. And the Krups made decent shots for as cheap as it was. I think it was two hundred dollars five or six years ago. Um, but it had been sitting in my kitchen. I'd stopped kind of using it. I only worked with um ESE pods, which are these uh coffee inside of a filter sachet that they seal up in a package. And it worked okay for that. But I just found myself not really using it because it was such a pain to kind of get it up and running. And uh, for a while, I'd seen something called an espresso. And so an espresso is a a machine uh, developed by the Nestle company as a way to produce high-quality espresso for, like, an average person who isn't going to go through the trouble of, you know, futzing around with tamping and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so what they, what they've done is they take uh, coffee and they seal it in these aluminum, uh, modules, a lot like, uh, I guess a K cup is sort of like that. Although those are plastic or a Tassimo or something like this, but this is specifically designed for espresso. And so I picked up one of these machines. It's really tiny. It's the, um, it's the Nespresso UC50. Um, and it's got an integrated, uh, Water tank that you can pop off. It's got magnets to keep it in place and fill it up. It's really tiny. And uh, what you do is you put the water in the tank. You drop uh, one of these Grand Cru uh, aluminum uh, cartridges in. It's got coffee in there, uh, and then you pull the pull the lid shut over the cartridge, and it pulls the shot. It's got a 19 bar uh, pressure, you know, pump inside. So it's a pump machine, and it pumps it through the uh, through the canister. It pop! It cracks the thing open, and then it shoots the hot steam through there and produces a shot of espresso. That's actually amazingly good for how small and how, uh, how, uh, unified this whole thing is. So they've really worked hard at making that work. Um, and then the package that I got included, um, something called an Aeroccino, which is, it sort of looks like a, mine looks like a Chrome, uh, French press. It's all Chrome. It's got a handle, but then on the top there's like a polycarbonate lid and then there's two spinning things that are held in by magnets uh, and the machine heats and spins milk, and it can produce either froth milk or, uh, like latte, you know, just steam milk. And so you can produce you know, mochas and lattes and cappuccinos and all that kind of stuff with these two small, easy-to-clean devices. So um, I picked it up. I've been super happy with it. It's really easy to pull shots if I want a shot or if I want to produce uh, coffee for me or for guests. It's a lot of fun. Cartridges cost like 60 cents a piece, so it's not super cheap, but not bad for espresso, and especially for how easy it is to clean up. So uh, I've been very happy. It's uh, I had my friend uh, Matt Henderson over in Europe, who the machines have been popular in Europe for a long time, and he said basically the, the espresso is kind of like the apple of the espresso world. So uh, I've been very pleased, and uh, some other people might be interested in checking that out if they if they want to do espresso that's easy and that, that putsy in. And stuff. I,
0: I would I would be willing to try it right now. I use a Chemex, and it takes some work. Um, It takes some patience more than anything. How fast is this machine?
1: I think it'll pull a shot in like uh, thirty seconds, fifteen seconds. Oh, Um, good lord! Takes maybe maybe thirty seconds to heat up. Um, It's fully automatic. so the
0: benefit for me of switching over to the Chemex was that I drank less coffee because it took me so long to make it. Oh, uh when I when I was using the AeroPress on its own, you know, like that was my only source of coffee, I would just go and press coffee like every time hmm. I ran out. And with the Chemex, I make, you know, 6 6 cups at a time, hmm. and that's usually I have coffee left over the next morning. Okay. Uh, I it just it slows me down. I don't I don't know, but I definitely I, it's not that I hate drinking a lot of coffee. It's that everyone was telling me I shouldn't drink as much coffee oh.
1: as I was drinking.
0: <laughs> so I, that wouldn't deter me from trying this. What did you say
1: the, the total cost for the package was? Well, the machine itself is... Uh, you can get them for 129 The machine I got was 199 And okay. then the Aero, by itself is 100 But if you buy the combo, which includes uh, the machine and the, the frother thing, it was 249 together. So it's not terribly i mean it's not cheap but it's not outrageous i'm sure they're making money on the cartridges because you know they're a little bit more and you you buy them directly from that you join the nespresso club and then they ship out
0: you don't have a choice in grounds then though right yeah you sort of
1: they have 16 different uh, blends that they produce and uh, i've been pretty impressed with the quality of all the coffee it seems pretty good um probably the limitation is it's not as easy as a k-cup to buy in the store but i have seen them at um Trying to think what the place was. There was a place in the mall that was selling these machines, and I think probably you could get the cartridges there. But it's, I mean, it's easy. You just go online. You order. I think you have to order thirty dollars worth of coffee, but I mean the cartridges go so fast it's almost practical. How is it?
0: How is it for freshness? If you're ordering that much at once and they're like prepackaged.
1: Well, the good thing is I think they're vacuum sealed inside these little crews inside okay. these little aluminum cartridges. So. I remember when I used uh, the regular espresso machine, I would buy Illy coffee in a can, and they vacuum seal that. So when you pop that open, it's like you smell it like it was ground in Italy, right? It's suddenly now all of a sudden it's going bad on you, but I mean it was uh, it's sealed. So I think each one of these is vacuum sealed. So I think that that maintains the freshness probably the best of any kind of cartridge. Certainly, it can't be better than grinding fresh and tamping, and but you know not everybody's got the time to do that or wants to do that. So I think it really depends. Any tool really depends on what you want to achieve with it. And I kind of like having sort of this quick, convenient way to get a shot because I've got pour over, I've got an Aeropress, I got a pot coffee pot that I can make coffee with if I need quantity. So I just kind of like having another option.
0: All right. Well, that that's a great option for people that want coffee in a hurry. Then yeah. good, good coffee in a hurry. Um, my next app, I, I, I always do apps. I tell people they can do whatever they want and espresso machines are awesome, but I, I always do apps cause that's all I know. So my next one is timing. Uh, it's a Mac app that you can find on the Mac app store. And what it does is track your application usage through the day. And you can go back and see a history of what you've used, how long you've used it, what app, what documents you had open in it. And for me, because I, tend to get onto uh, kind of spastic runs where I'm just like focused on one project, but breaking off to handle things that need to be handled as I, as I can. Um, and I lose track of what I've done and, and where I spent my day and I find timing to be, uh, uses very little resource and, uh, it, it runs unobtrusively and you can just pop it up whenever you want. It runs always in the background, but you don't see the interface until you ask for it. Um, and then, it, yeah, it gives you graphs and overviews and lists, and you can drill down and open up an application and see what what website you visited, what documents were open. It's uh, it's pretty handy. It's simple. It's $2. That
1: sounds it's, really cool. I could see that for, um, so usually the at work we have projects that typically have flat rates, but there are times when we do hourly rates. And sometimes you just get really busy and you forget to track your hours, which oh, would yeah. always happen and to me. You can
0: assign, uh, you can assign applications to, to project types. Oh, nice. So you could, if you spend a day and you were only working on a certain number of projects and each one had application or document specific things that you could, you can just drag them into like, uh, their categories basically, but you can drag a document and sign it to a category. So anytime that document is open, it's mm. tracking your time.
1: That would be nice because sometimes, you know, you just get busy. There might be a day or two where I just was on site or crazy just trying to get hit a deadline and I didn't really track that time or when I stopped and stuff. It would be nice to have that as sort of a forensic way of like, oh, yeah, okay, I was working on that four hours and then I stopped and I could see that being a valuable tool for that kind of thing. Absolutely. Okay,
0: so you have one more left, right?
1: One more, it's a small, simple, uh, another iOS app. And um, I learned about it from uh, Patrick Rohn, of all people. And um, he and I both love quotes, um, both famous quotes. And I, I grab quotes from people that I know as well, things I see on Twitter that I like. It's called Quotebook. Um, it's a little app. I think it's a buck or two as well. And its sole purpose in life is to capture quotes. Um, it gives you the ability to um, to drop the text in there. So you can copy it from an email or tweet or something. Uh, a location for where you can put the author, the person that said it, um, as well as um, information about the source like if it came from a book, let's say you can rate you can rate them and tag them. Um, and it it seems like um, if you copy uh, if, if you copy quotes, say from email, and then you open up the app, it actually will recognize there's something on the clipboard and ask if you want to turn it into a quote. So I kind of like it. I didn't I, I thought, well you know I could capture quotes and put them in simple note. I'm in there for other stuff. But uh, once I started using it, I found it actually really nice to have a dedicated app for that kind of thing. And it, you can tweet from it, so you can use it as a way to get those quotes back out. So if you are reading a quote, if you're reviewing in the morning and you want to encourage other people, you can use it to, to tweet or to email or, or what have you. I or think Tumblr, apparently. Yeah. You'd have to see. Uh, I think there's options for sharing um, Twitter. Nice. and You can send a text message to someone or an email, Facebook, Copy your Tumblr, yeah. So it's kind of a nice little app. I, I I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did being someone who tries not to get tons of little apps going. But uh, I've been very, very pleased with it.
0: Awesome. Um, that It also works with Launch Center Pro for people who uh, nice. who use that. Um, And it is $3. You keep undervaluing apps.
1: Yeah, I shouldn't do that, should I?
0: No, you should guess four <laughs> or five all the time. And then, oh, no,
1: it's only three. Just be uh, very... Very vague. Yeah, it's a couple bucks, <laughs> couple a few. few. Um,
0: all right, my last one is an app that came out in beta. Uh, it's Notebooks for Mac, and it is it's a similar to a lot of the stuff that I work with. It's um, it's a note editor that handles Markdown. It reads all your plain text files. It reads directly off the disk, so you can use Dropbox. And, uh, and it'll read in all of your notes as if they were native and then you can edit and preview and export. And you can export just by dragging notes out of it while they, they always exist on your disc. Um, and it just, it provides, it can store P lists with your text files so that you maintain your plain text, like universally readable files, but store extra metadata in parallel to it. Um, I'm finding it it's it's lacking in a few areas, but it's in beta and it's it's still developing. And i I think it's going to be a great note taking app once it's ready. Uh, it does not allow for sketching, unfortunately.
1: Mm.
0: Oh do wow! Do you ever do you ever sketch on an iPad? That I just need. a... Oh, oh yes or no?
1: Um, yes.
0: Okay, okay. Um, maybe uh, next time you're on, you'll tell us what apps you use for that.
1: Yeah, that could be a whole it, another discussion yeah, about I figured, digital.
0: I figured I have a few I'd like to throw out there, but. Um, I won't because that's, uh, that's three for me and we're, yeah. Okay. I counted this time and that was three for both <laughs> of us. I can say that with certainty. Um, so uh, we have one more sponsor and then I'll come back and we will, uh, give people some more contact info and, uh, and say adios. Very good. So, um, uh, MailChimp.com, easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's your own personal publishing platform. They help you customize your signup form to match your brand, so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. You can even collect signups from an iPad or a laptop. Importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap, no matter how it's formatted, and you can personalize everything your subscribers see, from signup forms to confirmation emails. There's never been a better way to try MailChimp. No, there's never been a better time to try MailChimp. You can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 sc- subscribers per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 to learn more. That was a nice short one from the good people at MailChimp. And uh, Mike, you can be found on Twitter at R-O-H design, throw design.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, are you on app.net?
1: I am uh, the same uh, napped on that as well.
0: Excellent. Uh, That'll be easy to find. And also your website is rowdesign.com. And if you put a slash book on that, you'll find out more about sketchnotes. And all of that will be in the show notes. Um, Is there anywhere else you want people to be able to find you?
1: You know, there's one place uh, we talked a little about sketchnotes and other people doing it. Um, Back in late 2009, I started sketchnotearmy.com and uh the focus of that was to find other people that do are doing sketch notes and then showcase them so we could start capturing all this stuff in a single place um uh, and that's so that's a great place to go and look and now that the book's done my focus t- is turning back to that and starting to focus on featuring people there um you can also go to uh, we've got a new sketch note podcast that was launched just before just before Christmas we're going to be releasing uh, a new, it's a video podcast, we're releasing a new episode, I'm hoping, next week. Uh, And what it is, is I I go on camera for three to five minutes and just draw things and interview people and uh, critique work. And so that's a a Peach Pit um, podcast. And I made actually a link to my site because it's easier to write than to remember the crazy link. And it's uh, rowdesign.com slash sketchnote dash podcast. And that will uh, redirect you right to uh, right to the podcast. You, you can subscribe to video podcasts. You can uh, watch it on an iPad. Uh, it'll work on an iPhone, although some of the detail will be smaller. Or your or your Mac or Windows machine.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for being here.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. This has been fun, and uh, and this is Brett Terpstra. I am TT on Twitter. I'm at brettterpstra.com. Uh, You can find me uh, just about anywhere from there. And uh, this has been Systematic Episode 27. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a week.